The best way to learn about a subject is to study it in depth. Jeannie Ross knows this better than most. As the principal research scientist at MIT's Center for Information Systems Research, she spends her time really digging into how to get the most out of information technology. One of the subjects she's looked at closely is the topic of digital transformation. In fact, she recently published a book on the subject titled Designed for Digital. On this episode of IT Visionaries, she tells us about the building blocks of digital transformation and takes us through use cases from Apple to Lego to illustrate how the shift to digital plays out. Enjoy this conversation. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org, and we have, on the other side of the country, nestled in MIT, Jeannie, what's going on? It's good to meet you. Great to have you on the show. We're really excited to be talking about your career and your new book coming out, uh, which we're going to get into, which is called Design for Digital, How to Architect Your Business for Sustained Success. Really excited to get into all of that. But first, how did you get into technology in the first place? Well, it was really kind of roundabout. I was teaching accounting at a little college in Wisconsin. I was asked to teach information technology. And when I told the dean I didn't know anything about information technology, he assured me it wasn't any different from accounting. And I said, no, actually, I think it's pretty different. Maybe I should go get a PhD in information systems. So he thought that was a great idea. I did. I fell in love with the field. And I've started, I've been doing research ever since. (laughs) Those are definitely different. I think you, (laughs) I think you were right on that one. And so tell me about what, well, first let's, let's talk about where you work at MIT. What is the Center for Information Systems Research? We were created in 1974 because businesses felt like they were spending a lot of money on information technology, but they weren't getting any value from it. This dates back to 1974. So we have spent much of our existence trying to help companies understand how to get value from their investments in information technology. And just where we were starting to get the sense that CIOs were gaining respect and technology was becoming more strategic. Along came digital technologies and everybody assumed all of a sudden that information technology was really important and valuable. So now we are just trying to help companies understand how to transform to take advantage of them. And what are some of those, like those organizations that you partner with that are involved in the in the organization? We have a a very global group of companies. They include companies like Aetna and Air Canada and Chevron and Semex, BBDA, BNY Mellon, very big global companies. Uh, 20 of them are actually based in Australia because we have staff there. So these are companies that have been successful for many, many years and just want to make sure they continue to be successful in a digital economy. And then how do you do your research? Like what does, when you're researching a book or, or looking into this, who are you talking to? You know, how are you looking at different trends? 
How do you talk to people that are at the cutting edge? Well, we have almost 100 sponsor companies and we stay in touch primarily with their IT or digital units to learn what their issues are. And we bring them to campus or we go to them in in various locations five times a year. So we have a pretty good handle on the common needs of companies across industries that are well-established, successful, and invariably we are mixing interviews with case studies and surveys and quantitative data, um, historical data in some cases, and some of them get very involved in this research. We have a number of leading edge companies that kind of tell us what the, 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 the latest thinking is, but we, we work with them at various levels and we learn from them in all different kinds of ways. So how are you like capturing that feedback? I'm really curious, like what are some of the things that you're, are you doing surveys? Or are you doing in-person meetings? Like what are the different ways that you collect this information? Is it from like, you know, CIOs and CTOs? Is it from, you know, from end users? Like what does that look like? You know, it's all kinds of ways. So I have personally conducted about six CIO surveys. Uh, my colleagues, Peter Wall and Stephanie Warner, often do entire executive committees when they are collecting research data by survey. Uh, But we also go on site. We do a fair number of interviews over the phone, do a fair amount of analyzing annual reports and things like that. And then we'll we'll basically uh, dive into this data, statistical data. You can imagine there's a format for studying it. But when we do case studies or interview data, we're taking transcripts and, and we're kind of digging in and looking for trends and patterns and kind of doing data reduction exercises until we can identify what's going on in companies. And then when you when you're talking about when you're talking to those organizations, are you looking for like, is there a sig- like significant statistical amount of, you know, folks that you're looking to reach for this? And then also, like, are you talking to their customers? Like, are you are you talking to the folks that are, you know, like from a product standpoint? And I know you've you've written a book about products, so we can get into that in a little bit. But I'm curious, like, is this focus primarily in-house uh, within IT organizations that are improving like employee experience? Or is it people that, you know, with like these hybrid roles that are working on product that are working, you know, internally and externally with customers? The issue we're studying will dictate who we talk to. Most of the time it is not customers because if a company says we're trying to get, for example, our customer satisfaction scores up, we are interested in their customer satisfaction scores. We don't need to go out and interview their customers. In some cases, in fact, Christine Deary is a researcher here who studies employee experience. So she would talk about the leaders who design employee experience and the employees who are experiencing it. My personal interest is in the design of organizations. You might call it architecture, enterprise architecture. I would study data, I guess I'd say, from enterprise architects, from CIOs, from business architects, from senior executives, from process owners, and from team members. And basically try to patch together the story of what's happening, both in in the intent and in the outcome. And and I I often describe my research as not unlike what a lawyer would do when they're trying to understand a phenomenon, what caused a crime. I would uh, kind of dig in and collect all the evidence I can as to why a certain company is having a certain result. 
and what I actually collect really depends on what appears to be relevant. That's really interesting. And yeah, that makes sense that it would, it would depend on the different, uh, you know, what, what you're studying and with who you talk to. And the interesting thing for me is case studies probably provide the deepest, richest information. Because if you go to a company and they say, well, we are digitally transforming, what we want is to learn from various levels in the organization, what does that mean? What, what are you experiencing? And then what kind of business outcomes are you getting from that? And what happens is that in the great companies, people are really all on the same page. So a senior executive would say, we're trying to create an atmosphere of X or Y. And you talk to people throughout the organization and they'd say, we have an atmosphere here of X and Y. But then you'll talk to companies where what the people on the ground are describing to you is nothing like what the senior executives are describing. And this really helps you understand the difference between great companies and everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I've, uh, we've talked about on this show that I love Eric Reese, uh, who wrote Lean Startup's definition of innovation is the speed in which an idea can get from like, you know, the, the, the lowest leveled employee all the way to the top and, and kind of back down to be implemented. I, I would say like, you know, the, the health score of a company or whatever it is you'd want to call it. There's got to be some metric there of what the executives believe and what's happening on the ground. Uh, the farther apart that those, those are, uh, you're probably, you're probably yes. in trouble. Absolutely. It's a great way of looking at it. Okay. So you decided to write a book that is out now that everybody should check out, which is called Design for Digital, How to Architect Your Business for Sustained Success. What was the reason why you wanted to write this book about digital transformation? We were quite struck when we went out to study digital transformations, how hard they are. And it, it immediately helped me understand why enterprise architecture is both underutilized in companies and so important because what we learned pretty early on is that for a lot of companies, when they said, we are transforming digitally, all they meant was they were transforming to become more digitized. And what that meant was they were cleaning up their processes. They were improving their customer interactions. They were doing what we wrote a book about in 2006. This was the book that said, you should get serious about enterprise architecture. The title was Enterprise Architecture Strategy. And what was happening is with these digital technologies, you get to take operational excellence to a whole new level. Digital technologies allow you to rethink your customer value proposition. And they not only allow you to do this, if you don't rethink your customer value proposition, you could easily be what we call Ubered, which means that while you are sitting around thinking, all I have to do is give people rides, somebody's going to come around and say, no, 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 that is actually not enough. And what we realized is these companies that understood the role of digital technologies in fundamentally changing their business models and strategies, that as their existing value propositions grew old, as new competitors came along, they were going to be fine. But there were a lot of companies that were sleeping on the job and they were going to be Ubered. So our sense was we should write a book to help people get on this journey towards becoming a digital company because it's very hard. It's an entirely new design and you need to be giving it some thought now. You can't wait till the competitors kind of 
take your markets and then say, oh, we should do something about that. It will be too late. Yeah, I feel like the fundamental shift to user experience and the fact that you can control the the entire thing from a digital standpoint was something that a lot of companies didn't realize at the time because it was kind of like, you know, mobile came so fast. And so if everyone needs a mobile experience, like, and you don't realize, like, why would a bank think that you would need a mobile experience? Like, oh, well, USAA, you know, was way ahead of the curve or something like that. Yeah, I'm curious, what are some examples of companies that you saw that you studied um, and shared in the book? In 2010, we didn't see many other companies kind of recognizing the potential out there. But by the time we went back and started studying this in 2015, we were looking at companies like Philips, which said, you know, we should really zero in on customer solutions. And so they started selling off businesses and zeroing in on what it meant to be a health tech company. They're totally transforming their combination of their traditional products with information, with new relationships with customers, and it's changing everything about Philips. Snyder Electric is doing this with electrical equipment. For years, they engineered and and sold electrical equipment. But with IoT and AI, they said, wait a minute, why would we stop with just selling equipment? We can help people understand where they're at risk of not having energy, where something is overcapacitated or where they're inefficient in their acquisition of energy. We can help people with intelligent energy management solutions. We should do that. So they have transformed themselves to become the the provider of intelligent energy management solutions. These are the kind of companies that we're studying now because what what it's doing is it's saying we can do so much more for our customers, but to do it, first we have to convince them they want us to, and then we have to deliver. And both of those things are just mountains to climb and they take a long time, but they are so worth the effort. Yeah, it was funny. So I interviewed Alpna, the CIO of Philips, and one of the things that she said that I thought was so fascinating was that She's like, I don't really know if IT needs to be around it, you know, 10 years from now. Um, like, you know, by the time we we get to our stated goal. And I thought it was really interesting as a discussion point around how IT is shifting to be something totally different and like what that kind of entails. And if you believe in the future of, you know, digital transformation, then IT, as you know, it could fundamentally change. I, I think it will. I think it'll more evolve than... Um, just kind of go away <laughs> because we now have such a mix of technology and operations and customer support that uh, it's hard to see where one of those functions starts and the other one ends. And so I think we, we are going to continue to see that evolution. I think it's a really important evolution. I think some technology head will be important forever but very in, in very different kinds of roles. Yeah, I mean, and that's what we're already seeing. Like you're seeing the chief digital officer, you're seeing, you know, the chief technology officer, the CIO, which, whichever it is that just encompasses digital strategy across the organization. I mean, more and more and more, that's what we see. To your point, every financial services company is surely uh, breathing a, a little um, short, shorter breaths right now as Apple starts to take on financial services, Google takes on financial services. It's a little unnerving 
because we're not exactly sure what this means for banks. And um, I think this ability to recognize value propositions that have real value just becomes more and more important. Well, I, no, this is a great point. And we could do an entire, you know, another episode just on the financial services uh, for this component. I mean, the Apple Apple Pay giving you cash back on your purchases is like a big, big deal. Now, it might not be the biggest deal that like Apple Pay night might not ever get, you know, mass adoption or something like that. But this is like a huge shot across the bow that's saying like, hey, you know, we're giving 3% cash back on any Apple purchases, 2% cash back on something else and 1% cash back. Like that's competitive with probably your bargain rate credit card of someone with, you know, maybe not the best credit. Like that's a that's a pretty big differentiator for someone that has never been in financial services. And because you already are tethered to your Apple device so much that it's if if banking is just a digital ex- extension of your phone, well, then who better to serve it than Apple? Are there other things that you see that are kind of like that with digital transformation where the tech like enables the business process to be, you know, to, to come out of that? Amazon is, is a great example of a company who totally got it. Um, and a lot of people tend to think of Amazon as a born digital company, but it was born in 1994, I believe. And it was, you know, you, it was an email bookseller. It was not a digital company, but this is a company that would see what technology made possible and go, wait a minute, we'll seize that moment. So the browser comes along, they say, why don't we make this a real shopping experience on the browser? We'll create a shopping cart. And it's so natural that we take it for granted, but it was a big deal. And then they see social media, they say, you know what, we could have people write reviews. And that was actually, if you think about it, a crazy idea. Why would somebody read a review from someone they don't know? But they just, first they hired some people and then they just let anybody uh, offer book reviews and it just became the way business became done. And, you know, they added robotics and said, well, why are we only in books? These robots help us with distribution. We're really good at it. Why don't we sell lots of things? And then they can add AI to get better and better recommendations. This is a company that's looking at technology and saying, well, what could we do with that to make our customers' lives better? And uh, it's just a gene that every single company needs. You have to now move from thinking of information technology as an enabler of your strategy and think of it as the inspiration for strategy. That's a huge shift. But if we don't make it, somebody like Apple is going to come in and, and take, you know, seize our value proposition. We were recently talking on an episode about that, Almost, and I, I forget the exact study, you might know this, almost every single company with the top NPS score in their market has like the majority of market share. Um, and I forget the exact statistics. So that is not, it's not exactly that. But essentially, if you look at um, net promoter score as a driver of being obsessed about your customer and then back in the digital experience, like it's a pretty good measure of that. And like, you know, Amazon's the classic example of being like so obsessed about the customer that and thinking of all those different things. I'm curious then in your research, if you found the companies that were, I don't know, for digital laggards, I don't know what we would we would call them, folks that really struggled in, 
you know, their digital transformation from companies that are 100 years old and had lots of legacy, different this and that. I'm curious, how did they shape the building blocks of digital transformation? What did they attack first? How did they go about doing this? Were there any success stories of people that really um, were able to do this over time? What's the order in which we pursue digital transformation? And we so wanted to come up with the roadmap. Here's what you ought to do. And as you alluded to, we have these five building blocks, which are really important, but we find arguments for starting with four of the five. Uh, One of them actually does have to come last. That's the external piece. Lots of people want to build a platform for external access, but you have to do everything so well before you get serious about that, that that is just not a place to start. But the other four are, as far as we can tell, all viable. So one thing you want in place is an operational backbone. You want disciplined, predictable, reliable transaction processing and back office services and access to customer data. And that's all about your operational backbone. It is, you have a huge advantage if that is solid before you go digital. But if it isn't, you can do a bit of a patchwork to get the worst parts of it addressed and say, we're charging ahead with digital because we can't wait. So it feels like a good thing to start with. If you have years to go on yours, you might decide you really can't start there. So a second thing would be customer insight. You have to learn over time what value propositions your customers will really value because we make assumptions that we know. But I think Airbnb here is is a great lesson. They thought people would want to rent an air mattress on somebody's floor and the host would want to be there and they were going to like become buddies and this was just going to be such a great experience. Well, that didn't really pan out that way. And, And the reason Airbnb succeeds as a business is because they quickly recognize this, they do a pivot, and they change the business accordingly. And basically, every successful startup tells that story. But established businesses think, no, 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 no. We're the Steve Jobs of our industry. We know better than our customers. I'm sorry. If they don't buy it, it doesn't matter if it was a brilliant idea. And I, I think GE learned this. I think a lot of companies are learning the hard way. You have to go out and acquire these customer insights, build on those insights, learn from those insights, keep working with customers to see what kind of new value propositions they'll accept. Not a bad place to start, but you could decide, no, I don't want to start there. I want to start by building some components. I actually think of Toyota's uh, path kind of this way where they started to recognize that they wanted to create some capabilities that could be reused and tested as they recognized that people more and more were saying, I'm not sure I want to own a car. Plenty of people do want to own a car. But more and more, there were people saying, I'm not sure I do. I, I like Uber. I, liked, I like Zipcar. And so what they're starting to do is build this platform of digital components, something that unlocks your trunk, something that lets you reserve a car, something that lets you pay for a car, something that keeps track of where all their cars are so they know uh, how to service. And so they're building this digital platform as one of the first things they do. Other companies do that much later. And the fourth option is to say the first thing we should do is learn how to get our people thinking innovation, becoming more agile, 
try ideas, iterate, deliver things quickly, ramp them up when they succeed. We call that the accountability framework. And we've definitely known companies like Principal International in Chile started by saying, we're just going to help everybody become evidence-based, learn how to test and learn. And as they do that, they'll start creating digital components. They'll start recognizing what their customers do and don't want. So we'll start with that. And it looks to us like you can start with any of them. You'll only get so far if you don't develop the others. Uh, but there's nothing in our research that suggests there's a a first place you have to start. You just need to get better and better at all of these capabilities. Yeah. So to to reiterate the, the five building blocks of digital transformation, we have shared customer insights, operational backbone, digital platform, accountability framework, and then the external developer platform. I want to circle back to the uh, shared customer insights because I think this is really interesting. Well, it's all interesting, but, uh, <laughs> the, but the, the customer insights I think is really interesting because what I've seen as a shift from this with regards to how marketing and IT and technology are blending is that the shared customer insights are things that are now marketing collateral. Customer success stories are, are the new normal. You have to have them on your website. Um, people are putting their customers in their advertising from a B2B standpoint more than ever before. You know, it, it's kind of like a, a pretty uh, rudimentary look at this, but like the number of actors that are in ads versus actual customers. Like if you were to path, like track that on a chart, you know, it would be uh, moving much more towards real customer stories. I think, you know, the other piece, you have things like G2 Crowd and things like that, where you're having customer insights that are happening, spreading word of mouth for you on forums and, and, and other things like that. And then you have like stuff that you're providing to directly to the customer, you know, little tactics and tips and ways to improve, you know, uh, you see this with, you know, Yeti gives you all this information about like ice and keeping things cold, right? Because like Yeti's not in the business of making coolers, right? They're in the business of making your stuff cold. So, you know, you need to know all of these like other ways that people use the product, the best ways to use the product. I just think that, that that's such a fundamental mind shift uh, for a lot of these companies to not talk about the product, to talk about the impact, you know, not talk about the drill bit, but talk about the hole that, that, that you're leaving. Um, have you seen this? Is this something hard for people to conceptually understand? I think people can recognize this shift is happening, but I'm not sure it's all that easy to get your head around what it means for your company. Because I think what you're saying is absolutely true. We talk about it as kind of the shift in your business model is now around solution. This is the whole reality, I guess, of the digital economy is we're not just pushing products anymore. We're pushing solutions. And invariably, it's, it's interesting that you point out the, the place that it's so obvious is in ads, but it's also really obvious in the way you get work done. When Philips decided it was going to provide tech solutions, um, it, it, it thinks, well, lots of people are going to need these, but they can't just start advertising health tech solutions. They've actually had to create an organizational unit called Health Suite Labs that meets with customers and actually charges them for these meetings where they say, we want to help you solve your biggest problems. So we sit down and we say, okay, we have an ICU problem. There's too many alerts and we're going to miss 
an important notice uh, that one of our patients badly needs us and we're off taking care of one that doesn't need us as urgently and we're worried this is gonna happen. And then if they want, they can contract with Philips to develop an actual solution. When Philips develops that solution, it can go around to other customers then and say, we developed a solution that might work for you too, but they already have the customer that can say this works for us. They already know how a customer might, might put it into practice. It's a, uh, to your point, it is a very different way of thinking about your products and services. And I think the word solution is really critical here. Well, and I, you know, I mean, because I'm passionate about marketing and also host a marketing podcast, um, I think what's really interesting is that a lot of, especially when you're selling to CIOs, which is another piece of this, if you're a CIO selling technology to CIOs, how involved the CIO is in those customer interactions because, you know, you're drinking the Kool-Aid yourself. So you, you have to be able to articulate that. That's a huge piece of this, right? Is like if, if your company isn't using your own product because you're, you know, whatever, uh, like Philips, like they're, you know, they're not using ICU equipment, right? <laughs> Internally, you have to figure out a way to, uh, to make sure that there's like a level of trust and, and communicate that effectively to your customers. Um, but also you can't just be telling stories about why you think they should buy because people buy for all sorts of different reasons. And so I think another shift here is not just explaining, and this is specifically more B2B, but you see it in all sorts of different things. Like, you know, you might get a, a, you know, Amazon device in your house or something like that, or a Google home or whatever it is. You might buy it just because like you and your spouse want some, a cool piece of tech sitting in your house. You might never use the thing, but like, it's, you know, it's a conversation piece. Like that's buyer's intent, right? Like that, that is like why your customer is buying. And I think that the best companies are figuring out why people buy and then are are leveraging that. And I think that to, you know, to blend technology and business, to blend IT and business, to figure out why people are buying and getting those customer insights to people in real time, like the absolute best companies in the, in the world are going to be able to do that. The one um, caveat I would um, uh, just note here is that a lot of our traditional market research is not going to work as well. Just when we got all this customer data and analytics and all that, as we change value propositions, historical data is not as useful as it used to be. So yeah, there are things we can learn from customer analytics or whatever, but we have to be so much more assertive in checking what customers want. This is why Amazon is, is doing A-B testing every 11 seconds or so. They're collecting more data on, did you like this little icon here or not, right? Collect real data on your newest idea as opposed to trying to apply historical findings because things are kind of different with the next idea. So a lot of the historical analytics won't help you at all. You got to get it out there in front of them and see what happens, talk to them. Uh, so the whole market research function is quite different. I want to talk about Lego because I think that it's uh, such a good example. And uh, I, I, want to, I want to prize some stuff from the book that everyone should check out again. I highly recommend. Lego is one of those companies that has been around a long time and had the ultimate physical product, right? Like there is no, you know, it is a product that 
you know, adults buy for children most of the time, not always. Sometimes adults buy it for themselves. And they went through a phenomenal digital digital transformation. And it kind of is like if they can do it, anyone can do it. Not to not to you know, say that they didn't do an awesome job. I just mean, you know, they really rethought the value proposition for them. I'm curious, like, what were the lessons learned that you saw studying Lego? This is the interesting thing to me about Lego, because I totally agree with you. I think they've been through a remarkable transformation to digital. And yet when I talked to the CEO, he said, oh my goodness, we're not at all digital yet. <laughs> and his, here's his explanation. There are a lot of digital things going on, and indeed, some of what we point to, their ability to take this physical toy and put it into a digital online experience is very cool. But he also pointed out that a lot of what they're doing is actually being done by startups with Legos. And and he's actually nervous about it. He feels like we don't do enough, where we've allowed too much of the opportunity to be sucked up by startups that can use Legos because we can't stop them from using Legos, right? To your point, they are doing some very digital things. And in their case, it was about two things. One was really get that operational backbone in place. The CEO said, we are a supply chain company. You know, if you're gonna buy a kit from us and it has a thousand pieces in it, every one of those has to be produced. And if one of them doesn't exist anywhere right now, I can't send you that kit. So that is a business, that's a showstopper, right? So I've got to get the supply chain cleaned up. It's got to be great. And once I do that, I have an amazing platform on which to build this really digital experience, which they have absolutely started to do. But they will tell you they are very early in their digital transformation. They have some very cool and successful experiments. But like they want to make their whole workforce much more agile than it is right now. They've started some um, more agile teams and things like that. Uh, They want more of a digital platform, which will be more engaging and, and faster to change, to do new things with their customers. They still feel like they are very, very early on this transformation. And there's both a lot of work to do and a lot of potential to be tapped. I want to talk about employee experience for a little bit. We recently had on UiPath Chief Evangelist. We talked about robots, robotic processing. You know, we obviously our amazing sponsor, uh, the Lightning Platform from Salesforce. You know, talks a lot about building mobile apps and citizen development, and and how employees can now be empowered to build things, which is something that you know had really never been an option before, except in small cases. I'm curious, like, how does being an employee change going forward? Well, this is such an interesting question because I think we have to recognize that when we're talking big old companies, a lot is not going to change. And we would be making a mistake to say, oh my gosh, our 25,000 people all have to change. Because in truth, we can be much more gradual than that. And we have to be because to adopt these innovative, evidence-based, agile methodologies it takes a while to absorb. It takes a while to get good at it. So we want to approach this new employee experience, the empowered teams, the iteration, the, the agility. We want to approach that the way a startup would. Start small. Start with a few employees. And, and these have to be employees who love problem solving. So here's this opportunity. Let's go out, develop something, test it with customers, see what comes of it, build on that idea 
you know, just adapt to whatever it is you've learned. You have to start small if you're a traditional business that's learned how to standardize processes, deliver scale. You know, you cannot start at scale to become a totally different company. And so our sense is that you want to have this part of your business that's much more responsible for innovation and digital offerings while the rest of your business sustains your business success. And what will happen is, as we do RPA, as we use AI, we're going to find we can automate more and more of the old standardized processes that give us all our scale. And as we do that, we're going to free up bodies. Good for us. Let's move more bodies into this new digital environment that's much more uh, intelligence intensive, right? Where we need more creativity. We, we need more bodies. And so transformation should indeed be gradual so that when we get to be as big on our digital side as, say, a Google, we look kind of like Google. We have a, a fairly flat hierarchy. We feel the chaos that comes with all that empowerment. We don't let it overwhelm us. We'll get there gradually. And, and I think recognizing that this is a learning process and you can get there, but you should start small is actually really key to this whole transformation. I love it. Let's get into the lightning round. Let's do some lightning round questions. These questions are fast and easy. Just like the lightning platform from Salesforce, you can go to salesforce.com slash employee experience to learn more about building apps in the world's number one CRM. Jeannie, are you ready? I am. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? I use my new sleep number app to find out when I'm not getting enough sleep as if I needed more information on that. What is your favorite one-day getaway in the greater MIT area? Oh my, one-day getaway would be you go up to Maine and you bike. It's not very digital. What is your favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently? I thought Bad Blood was blood curdling. And uh, I do recommend that people listen or read that book. It's a cautionary tale. That is for sure. It is. What do you do for fun? I have three grandchildren and I spend as much time with them as I can, although they're in Columbus, Ohio. What technology are you most excited about going forward? The AI piece, especially around natural language processing, is really, really exciting. And a foreign language translation as part of that is really going to change my life. What would be your best advice for a first-time CIO? Listen. Yeah. I, I just think listening to... Uh, executives, so you really hear their pain, and then you listen to employees, so you really hear their ideas. I think that would be number one. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? Why they need enterprise architecture. The awareness of enterprise architecture is so low that nobody ever asks that question. There's a few people who know, and there's nobody else interested, and that's the question I wish people would ask. I am interested. Why? I'm curious. Why enterprise architecture? In a digital world where we want the people and the process and the technology to have seamless interactions, and if the right hand does something, the left hand either uh, benefits from it or at least is not disrupted by it, it will not happen just by having a good strategy. We have to design our companies to pull off what it is we're trying to do and to be able to pivot, and I cannot convince senior executives that their job of designing the company is at least as important as their job of establishing strategy. 
but I still believe we will someday get there. I love it. This has been awesome. Jeannie, you're a great guest. Thanks so much for coming on. I, I feel like I didn't get through about uh, 90% of my questions. We didn't even talk data. You know, we got lots of lots of stuff in the future, but uh, we're so excited for the book being out. Everyone should check it out. Highly recommend Design for Digital, How to Architect Your Business for Sustained Success. Any final things? Anything to plug? No, thank you. This has just been a great opportunity to, to get excited about all the things I'm excited about. I really enjoyed talking with you, Ian. Thanks so much. Take care. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.